I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. Today I'd like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Tefanganui Tara, where I'm recording today. <sighs> so nice to be sitting down and actually doing this. I know, it's been a week. I don't know about you, but this week has really taken it out of me. Like, it's just been a lot. It's kind of been difficult. I think knowing that we're going into extended, extended, extended lockdown hasn't been really Mm. fun. I think it'll be September before we're free again. Oh, it's so rough. It's just so disheartening, right? Like, you're trying to do the right thing and the numbers just keep going up. Yeah. It's hard to stay motivated in that environment. And I don't want to be the person who's always, like, following the rules and having to be strict about it, but... I am having to be the mm. person who's following the rules and be strict about it with other people who really want to break the rules and I just hate having to be the villain so that's really rough. It's never nice to be the bad guy even though it's the right thing to do. Um, how was your week of eventful weather? Yeah so it's been really intensely rainy as per usual. Um, yeah I don't know like this week is just I found it really hard to just be engaged and I think it was just a lot of stuff you know the world is just a mess and then mm. sometimes when you think about it too much it gets all too hard to keep going and keep being interested in work and being productive because part of me is like who cares what's the point (laughs) the world's gonna end anyway so (laughs) yeah the nihilist trap yeah so I've been trying to be good but yeah it's been a rough week but I'm sure like I've had a moment of wonder and I want to hear about your moment of wonder so so yesterday I decided to go for a run and I thought I will just I've been kind of stuck at 3k's for a while Mm. so I thought I'll just try and make it to three and a half k's and then I was like no you know what I'm really gonna try and crack four and I'm gonna try and crack the big hill because there's a really big hill kind of near me Mm. um I did not crack the big hill and I almost got to four but I thought like it's okay if I pause and keep going in a minute and so I like gasped and huffed my way up the last 70 meters of the big hill (laughs) amazing it's so steep at that last part too it's like gradual 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 mountain mountain (laughs) um and then at after I had kind of got my breath back, I was like, you know what, I bet I can run the rest of the way home. And I did. So I ended up doing like a four and a half K run all up, even with a big chunk out of it, which was just walking. Like there was a, I just paused my running app. So it didn't like count it. But yeah, I did a big run yesterday and I felt really proud of myself. You should be proud of yourself. That's amazing. And like I run, but I don't run uphill. So I think it's absolutely (laughs) admirable that you run up this massive hill, the scary hill. Please don't tell my physiotherapist though, because she told me to walk up all of the hills and I have not been doing that. So sorry. Wow. So not only are you running, you have an excuse not to run up a hill and you still do it. I'll crack it someday, Jen. I will. <laughs> I would be so proud. I'll make you a cake. I'll I'll, I'll buy you one. That would be amazing. Delivered. I will accept your hill cake. <laughs> mm. Let's do it. How about you? What was your moment of wonder? Um. So I had a pub. Like, I've got a, a little Wellington Fano where we just do loads of things together. And they're like my little family here. And we usually go to pub quiz. But we haven't been in ages because I've just been really busy. And obviously then I was in Australia for 11 weeks. years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So on Monday night, it was our first quiz back in a a long time. And it was just so fun. We have so much fun. We rib each other. We just like 
yeah wind each other up and it's really a good time and lots of laughs and we came third so that was amazing for our return to form and yeah really great time and it just brings me such joy having this little little ritual with my mates oh i'm so glad i did wonder how you guys had done so third's pretty respectable yeah, I mean, usually we win, but we'll, we'll take third. We do have a nemesis team who we usually compete with oh, for no. top spot. But there's only three of us, and they've got seven, so I think we should get bonus points for being that's amazing. That's it. I have to come down and help you guys out. I'm sure I know Please. lots of useless trivia. That's, like, one of my superpowers. Our biggest weakness is geography and sport, to be honest. Oh, I cannot help you with sport, but I know lots of American and North American geography, so that might help. We'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) So this week we're reading chapters 9 through 13 through the theme of anxiety. Jen, do you feel comfortable telling us a story about anxiety? It's a pretty personal topic. Yeah, I don't mind. Um, Firstly, can I just direct everyone to watch Tom Cardi's Why Am I Anxious video? Because I have been (laughs) singing it to myself all week while I've been thinking about this topic. I'm just like, why am I anxious? It's so good. And um, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, I just love it so much. So that's what I've been thinking about every time I think about anxiety. Shout out to Tom Cardi for just nailing the human condition. Like, Oh, I love it so much. It's got an EP coming out now. Yay. I'm quite excited by him. So I actually never thought of myself as someone with anxiety. Like if you had asked a younger version of me, I wouldn't have been able to name what I was going through, what I was feeling. I thought the way I felt around people and new situations was just my introversion. And I thought I was shy, but now I can confidently say that I am not shy. I'm really not shy, but that's the only word I had for it. I was just like, you know, shy, I'm an introvert. That's what people tell you. And it wasn't until I saw a therapist for the first time that someone actually described what I felt as anxiety. And I just kind of looked at her in shock, like, I'm not anxious. And she just gave me this look that said, well, of course, you're just an overachieving perfectionist who has to psych herself up to get a glass of water from the office kitchen because, you know, she's just crushed by the weight of expectation. And that's totally normal, right? And (laughs) yeah, so not anxious at all. (laughs) I promise I'm not laughing at you. This is just like exactly my experience. (laughs) And so like that kind of forced me to reframe a lot of my past experience and look Mm. back at my life. And then I could see the anxiety in my actions and my choices. And it was a lot. Like once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. And I also couldn't unsee how I would always take on far too much because I always had to prove something to someone. And then when the anxiety of it became too much because I had taken on too much, I couldn't actually face doing something. So You know, if it was leading a debate or delivering a presentation or turning up to an important meeting, sometimes it became so overwhelming that I would fake an illness to get out of it. And and actually, you know, it wasn't actually that I was faking the illness. I genuinely felt sick. Like I felt so overwhelmed that I couldn't go. And then in the end that it would get rescheduled. But that would be okay because no one can be mad at you when you're sick. Like, that's a legitimate reason not to turn up for something. So that was like a nice out for me. It felt like a safe mechanism to use. And it's so stupid because I'd still end up doing the thing anyway, just like a week later or a few days later. But it's like I had this block. Like, I couldn't force myself through the anxiety to do that thing because I had taken on too much. Yeah. And I couldn't see kind of past the crippling, crippling weight of that anxiety in the moment to push through it. So all I could see was the anxiety it was just this wall that I couldn't get through and I just thought that was going to be my life forever and I would just have to come up with ways to work through it like coping mechanisms or 
you know, most of CBT therapy, that what they teach you, just, you know, try to reframe it, push through it, mm-hmm. come up with ways to like, just think about it differently when you notice yourself in the moment, all those things they teach you. Yeah. I don't think I have a brain for CBT, so that wasn't particularly useful to me. Like, I just thought this is just going to be my life. And then when I started doing EMDR therapy for my PT- my PTSD, we go. We ended up going really deep into some really formative memories and packing so much of what makes me tick. So the overachieving and the perfectionism, why I never felt good enough, you know, the fear of disappointment, everything that like just feeds into this constant hum of anxiety that underscored my entire existence up until this point. And I didn't even notice that because it had always been there. Mm. And then, then it was gone. And I didn't realize the weight I was carrying until it was no longer there. And that's not to say that I don't get anxious anymore because I absolutely do. But it's not an ever-present thing in my life like it used to be. It doesn't drive my decision-making the way it used to. It doesn't overwhelm me the way it used to. I can name it and I can lean into it. And in that way, I can get on top of it before it gets to that point where I felt like I couldn't function and I would have to like bail out on events. Um, I think our minds can be such treacherous places. And for many of us, I think it feels like sometimes we're our own worst enemies. And for me, the biggest help has just been understanding myself and not fighting the way I feel, but taking that breath just to understand where it's coming from. And that's just one part of who I am. And as absolutely awful as it could have been in the past, you know, it's actually taught me a lot and it just doesn't define me. And I think that's just, you know, you're not alone in these feelings. And that's just an amazing thing to keep in mind. So, yeah, that's my little anxiety journey. Oh, well, you are good enough, and I will fight anybody mm-hmm. for making you feel bad. Just point them in my direction, and I will come at them. It's so weird, because once you see it, you're like, oh, that's what that was. Yeah, and it's hard. I think it's a hard thing for a lot of people to be willing to fold into their identity. Like, for me, I was like, oh, this is just another piece of the puzzle of me. Like, I find things about brains and bodies really interesting. Mm. So I was kind of, like, once I got past the shock of it, I was like, oh, so that's how it works, and that's what it's doing. Mm. And I could approach it like that but I know that there's such a stigma around even mental illnesses that are really easy to treat like often anxiety is quite easy to treat people just don't want it they just, it's like they've got to draw a line somewhere because it's just too yeah. much I think it's more common than people admit like I think you know as someone who's had anxiety I find it hard to believe that there are people who don't have anxiety but they mm. do exist like there are people who can just get through the day and never feel anxious about anything which is amazing I definitely also have friends who I've said in the past like I'll say to them you don't you know you're acting very anxiously I can see you're very anxious about it and they will be like no no I don't have anxiety I don't have that and it's they haven't been on this journey like I have you know you can lead a horse to water but you can't make them do CBT yeah and I think you're right it's that kind of it's the self-perception so you think you know I'm not a person with anxiety I don't want to carry that whereas I love nothing more than defining every element and like really (laughs) unpicking what makes me tick like I love that Mm -hmm. I just maybe a little bit too much too much self-awareness is that a thing but we both enjoy like the mbti sort of things and like house systems for hogwarts i love putting people in houses <laughs> and it's just a nice way to start getting to know like myself and others um sometimes at work people will be like oh we did this this quiz or this test as part of professional development which one the one that tells you which bird you are this one that one tell me because i've done them all i've done them all out of my own free will what kind of which taylor swift album are you yeah what color wedge are you you know i think it's just it helps you orientate yourself in the world right so whether it's quote unquote real or 
legit science or whatever it doesn't really matter because it's what you take from it it's the same way that you know I use like I'll pull a tarot card in the morning and that helps me set like an intention for the day like it's not that I necessarily believe that tarot is a thing it's just a way to frame things so it helps yeah I still I still like the way that Maggie Stiefvater talked about tarot is in like you're asking yourself the question and you're answering it yourself you're just using the cards as a different way to get to the answer yeah it's just a way to get you thinking yeah and basically that's what we do with this like this entire podcast all the books we read it's just questions we're asking ourselves like let's define a theme based on this reading and we're gonna look at you know identity and anxiety but like we're identifying that for ourselves too within the lens of this book so yeah it's great well do you want to summarize our section for this week i would be delighted kath's decided to go home to omaha and she finds herself with an extra hour and wanders into Levi's coffee shop. She then goes to spend the weekend uh, with her dad to check in on him. Back in Lincoln, she writes with Nick in the library and turns in a piece of fan fiction, but she gets a failing grade because she's plagiarized. Levi finds her at her emergency dance party, and then she gets a 911 text from Ren. They both go to find Ren at a bar where she is sloppy drunk. Afterward, Levi asks to be read to. So cute. It's really cute. I actually really like Levi so much in these chapters. I just, I love him. He's amazing in this section. I was really, really um, just warmed by him. Heartwarming. Um, so in terms of anxiety, I thought that the way that anxiety works is that like everybody feels anxious and worried sometimes, but Kath's anxiety disorder makes that much worse. Like it's just mm-hmm. magnified and it ends up affecting her mentally and physically. So one thing I noticed was that if there's something coming, if she has a lot of dread about it, it's much worse than if it just happens. So her mm. dad stopping her on page 99 and saying like, we need to talk about something right before she leaves. She's like, oh my gosh, stop. She says, just say it. You're making me nervous. Worse mm-hmm. than nervous, her stomach was t- twisted up into her trachea. So she's feeling this physical sensation of anxiety. And she's only had just this little like tiny bit of, you know, just a bit of warning and it's still already that terrible. And then when she's being pulled up for plagiarizing, um, she she says, you know, she's trying to justify why she why fan fiction is okay to turn in and Professor Piper's being really like strict about it. And on page 109, it's Kath could feel how red her face was. Her voice was breaking. So when I think about anxiety, I think about that stuck, trapped, breathless feeling. Like it always mm-hmm. is right in my chest and it hurts to be anxious. Kath definitely has that too. Like she can't sit still. She can't get comfortable. She blushes. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you feel sick, right? That's It just does. It gets yeah. into you and you can't think and you can't breathe and it's just in you and I thought on your point on page 132 she talks about going back to Professor Piper's class for the first time Mm. since they had the talk and you know she says Kath had actually considered skipping class today but she figured that would just make it even more painful so I think that was actually really mature of her to recognize that if she hadn't gone she would have a block and she actually just would never go back to that class so she pushed through it in that moment yeah it's incredible that she was able to kind of go I don't think I can put this off anymore and then Nick does not ask her a single question about his he just talks about himself he is so infuriating i love that levi just sort of gently draws a comparison between himself and nick i didn't put it as one of my marginalia but mm-hmm, i did when he says has he ever offered to walk you home yeah and kath goes no maybe you shouldn't either and he's like that's not the point <laughs> don't mm. be ridiculous i love levi so much i think that's 
that's also just Levi recognizing that Nick is not a good person. Like he's not kind the way that Levi is. Because for Levi, it's inconceivable that you wouldn't offer if you were in that position. Exactly. Because if we think about our theme of identity, Levi's identity is entirely around being a nice human being. Um, and he's so yeah. secure in that, you know, like everything about him is just twined into being nice. And Kath remarks on page 93, you know, Levi stopped to talk to the guy because he was Levi and this was a biological necessity. <laughs> I love how mean Kath is about it. I also just love how he is so quick to jump in to help her with Ren. You know, he's like, 911 is a 911. He doesn't stop. He doesn't question. Yeah. He's just there. And I thought this was a really interesting example of how when you have anxiety, sometimes you have the mom friend clause mm -hmm. where you can't do something for yourself. But if you need to show up for someone else, it's not actually that bad. With Kath, I see that she doesn't even get dressed. She just puts boots on over yeah. her pajama pants. And she's like, I'll walk if I have to. Whereas Muggsy's I'll get there. She doesn't even think about it. She's just ready to go. Mm. When she goes back to Omaha to look after her dad, she like cleans out his room, but she doesn't touch any of the mail because she's recognizing that that's his job to do. But she is going to run the dishwasher a couple times and make sure that he goes to bed. Mm. Like she can do these things for him, even if she struggles to do these things, maybe for herself in a different way. Yeah, that's very true. I like I can do loads of things for my friends that I could never do for myself. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And there was a really good one on page 117 when she's at Muggsy's. This one made me laugh so much. You sent me a text, Kath said, glowering up at the big guy until he took another step back. She actually, like, intimidates a huge farm boy out of, like, she's, like, glaring at this guy. She, like, knocks his hand out of the way. She doesn't care. She's gonna beat him up if she has to. That whole rain bar incident is a real, like, good example of anxiety, right? Because she is just immediately up to 11. Like, she is imagining the worst possible thing. She is imagining yeah. how she's failed rain by not watching out for her you know mm. Levi tries to tell her it's fine and Kath says it's not fine if it was fine she wouldn't need me yeah and then it turns out she doesn't actually need Kath and somehow that is worse it's humiliating you know? and Kath has social anxiety so being embarrassed is like the literal worst feel it's like the culmination the realization of all those fears that comes into like real stark relief when on page 119 it says it was so loud in here you had to shout and made it way too easy to lose your temper and it just vividly reminds me like I've been in that moment where your fear and your embarrassment is now just translating into sheer rage and you just become yeah. this horrible person and you're just like yelling and you don't want to be yelling but you have had experienced something terrible like you thought something terrible had happened to someone and it turns out they were just being annoying. <laughs> I have a theory about Ren because we've been talking a lot about anxiety and I'm pretty sure that their dad is bipolar. That seems to be sort of how he operates. Like he just is very fast. Mm. Kath views her anxiety as this like negative part of her identity. But we haven't really talked about like, like Ren doesn't really admit to having anything wrong with her. She's playing the part of normal college person. But I think that Ren has PTSD and I think that she's doing a lot of really harmful like self-sabotaging behaviors in order to kind of cope with the fact that she doesn't really know how to be herself because she doesn't mm. really have a lot of support on how to be herself. Does that make sense? Yeah, I thought maybe it was more like Ren decompartmentalized that's part of her life. She sort of just suppressed it. So she's never yeah. actually dealt with it, right? She just put it in a box and that was a thing and then she just moved on. And I thought it was so interesting when Kath confronts Ren about their mum trying to reach out and yeah. Ren says on page 105, she's already messed everything up. It's not like she can leave us again. And Kath says, yes, she can. Because for Ren, the worst has already happened. So therefore, mm -hmm. she doesn't need to deal with anything else. Whereas for Kath, it can always get worse because her anxiety means that she's catastrophizing. 
boring. Yeah, I actually chose that as one of my potential marginalias. So I'm not sure if I should go in a little bit deeper on this one. Leave it for later. I do think that there's something to the difference between them that Ren is willing to make a connection, but I don't, this is my instinct, I don't feel like it would be a genuine connection. I don't think Ren is looking at it like, I want a mother figure back. Whereas I think that Kath is sort of saying, I'm never going to allow another mother figure Mm. to come back in that person. Mm. And I think the fundamental difference between those two is that Ren's like, if she wants to come back into our lives in a very like surface distant way why not and Kath's like she can only come back if she didn't mess up when we were like eight-year-olds you know yeah so that's my read on it yeah you can't unshed the blood right the damage is done well exactly and Kath's also not able to kind of function in the world without being her authentic self and Ren can like Ren is very good at I don't know what cultural code switching Mm, she can be college Barbie she can be like ridiculous girl at Muggsy's and she can also be renegade who writes fan fiction with her sister it reminds me of how I used to be when I was 18 19 like I used to feel that Mm. I could just put on personalities based on the situation I was in so I would be someone completely different at work to who I was at home to who I was at uni to who I was somewhere else like I was always wearing whatever face I thought people needed me to wear which to me now is absolutely baffling considering that I just live my life being so annoyingly myself at all times but it came from anxiety and I think you know Ren probably does feel that but she she doesn't name it because she kind of admitted to herself and that's probably where yeah the self-destructive behavior comes in as you said i feel like so much of her identity is tied up with being the functional normal one to quote david rose there's only room in this family for one dysfunctional (laughs) sibling um i also remarked on how kath's anxiety manifests in Mm -hmm. little behaviors like checking the doors like she'll get up in the middle of the night to go check the door yeah she can't sleep you know and she can't feel settled and then she also has this emergency dance party that i assume ren came up with to help her settle yeah well i feel like ren's someone she can be flexible with. There's a, a line about her oh, where is it? Kath didn't want to keep anything from Ren, not when it felt so good, so easy to know that when she was with Ren, she didn't have to worry about a filter. So like, Ren's her person that she just has unconditional love for and expects unconditional love from. And the mm-hmm. problem is that Ren isn't giving that or accepting it anymore in the same way. It really does feel like a breakup mm-hmm. because like Ren's trying to redefine the relationship and Kath's like, but this works. We're best friends and sisters. Mm. And she also says on page 111 about Ren, you know, she tug Kath back from the Ren was really good at that so she kind of needs Ren to balance her out and that's an anxiety thing as well like she feels anxious because Ren's not there to balance it out and she doesn't really understand why Ren is pulling away and that's that hurt and that abandonment wound that she has from her mum leaving the whole thing is just terrible yeah this is gonna sound terrible but I kind of feel for Ren as well because it's hard being someone's mm-hmm. support person all the time it's hard having to be the person who has to keep the anxious one in line it's- yeah tough thing to do. So I come at this from like being a parent, right? My daughter especially has a lot of anxiety about stuff and I worry a lot about how to help her get through that and how to build resilience and how to also like respect the fact that she's going through a thing and it doesn't actually feel like work because it's my daughter and like if I had to Mm. stand in front of a bus to save her life you bet I would. No question, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are just some people that you love that Mm -hmm. much and I really feel like for Kath and Ren because they've had their whole lives together it should be like that and I wonder why Ren is struggling now and I think this is why I attribute it to Ren having a mental illness that she's not coping with do you know what I mean like this is why I think there's something Mm. more going on with Ren because it's almost like she's lashing out but she's not lashing out she's just trying to be reasonable but she's hurting people around her 
Yeah, I mean, she's couching it as trying to be very sensible and very normal, but it is still, yeah, it's still a rebellion, right? And so rebellions come from a place. Mm-hmm. There's something that needs to be achieved. So what is she trying to achieve? Why is she trying to cut her dad and Kath out of her life? What yeah. is the actual thing that is motivating that? Or does she just want everyone in her life to be at that surface level that she's willing to invite her mother back into her life at? You know, she wants everything to be superficial. She doesn't want to go deep because going deep is too much. It's too vulnerable. It's too risky. You can lose too much. Yeah, I'm red in this scenario. I really hate being vulnerable. The literal worst. Ah, which brings me back to something I wanted to come back to because I remembered that in our first episode you said Mm. you thought of Kath as being Baz and Ren being Simon. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I need to think about it more. And then I was reading this section and on page 137, Kath has this moment where Levi has asked her to read some fanfic. And she's like, why not? She didn't have anything to lose. Yes, but what? that's not the point. Part of her argued, what do you have to gain? And I'm like, hello, little Slytherin. And I'm like, oh, wait, she is Baz. She will give you all of herself, but she has to decide if you're worth it first. Whereas Ren will give everybody nothing, yeah. and then maybe someone is allowed to go deep if they're persistent enough, I think. Mm, yeah, I see that now. I get it. I get it. It's also hard for me to vo- to because I have been so mm. obsessed with Simon Snow for the last four weeks of my life. I have to divorce yeah. the Simon and the Baz that I know in my head from the Simon and Baz yeah. because they're actually quite different. Like, it's not the same thing. They're different stories. These are Gemma T. Leslie, Simon and Baz. Yeah. The ones that you've been reading are rainbows. Um, I want to go back to, I interrupted you when you were talking about the emergency Kanye party, but I want to say that I think that that's part of Kath's ability to adapt, which we are seeing more and more. So instead of just being like, oh, I can't deal with this like you mentioned she's able to go to class even though she's really feeling raw about it and she goes to have lunch with Ren after their argument at Muggsy's even though Ren sucked and didn't talk about it and like she's able to kind of confront Levi when he's trying to cajole her and say like you can't do this this isn't Mm. gonna work for me and he immediately apologizes but the emergency Kanye party I love that so much because where's that line it's so great I don't need a quorum (laughs) I can call it myself (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then she feels a bit awkward because she's like gets up on the bed to call and she has that moment where she's like, oh, I don't need to do that. And I love that Levi just barges in and is like, oh no, emergency Kanye party? Okay, what's happening? And he just starts dancing <laughs> with her badly. He's the best. Kat does have a lot of coping mechanisms for mm. her anxiety, which is good. And I think she uses writing, writing fix in particular yeah. as well, as a coping mechanism. She talks about writing to get lost in the world of majors and to stay lost. And when she was asked in the last section, you know, why does she write? She says to disappear. She says, you know, when she could just ride their feelings for each other like a wave, like something falling downhill. Like it stops her from mm-hmm. engaging with her own feelings, her own emotions. So that's why she writes. And she says to Levi as well, you know, you can stay in this world, this world you love, as long as you want, as long as you keep thinking of new stories. And it's this idea of, like, if you just hold on, you never have to actually deal with anything because you have this thing that will protect you. And I think that's why it's so devastating to her when that betrays her because Professor Piper is like, this doesn't count. You can't do this. She can't comprehend it. Yeah, and I think that that conversation could have gone a lot better from both a teacher point of view and Kath. As somebody who's in her now officially late 30s and has gone through degrees, and experienced the mortifying ordeal of creative writing teachers. Um, When they are good, they are great. But I just feel like instead of being like, oh, this person Mm. wrote fan fiction and kind of flagging it and saying like, I want to give you an opportunity to redo this because 
you know, I didn't specify no fan fiction, but like, you really can't do this. I think I would have given her another chance to write something else rather than just giving her an F for the assignment. Cause it's obvious she worked on it and it's obvious it's not part of the series. I think I would have been like, let's talk about why. And I think it was one of those things that was like, this is the hard lesson you have to learn. But in my experience, parenting kids with anxiety, the hard lesson, they're already learning hard lessons all the time. Cause their brains are creating them for them. Like you do not need to add hard lessons to their life. It will not help. It just makes it worse. Everything is so much worse already when you have anxiety. That's my beef with that. But I like, I think that's a reasonable position that the professor took. I just personally like hate it. I thought it was interesting that she pushed the plagiarism angle because I don't think you couldn't say that was plagiarism at all. Like, is it, mm. you could argue that it's unoriginal because it's someone else's creation. Sure. But to call it plagiarism was a bit weird. But I also think that Kef was incredibly naive to think that she could turn in fan fiction for yeah. a university class. To me, that is a wild thing to do. It's weird because I had a similar incident with a teacher, but I was eight, nine. Yeah, so we had to, in South Africa, school is quite intense and we start getting homework a lot younger than most kids I've noticed around Australia and New Zealand. And I had an English assignment and I wrote a story, which was essentially Lion King mm. fan fiction. It was 1996. The Lion King had been out in a year. I loved it. So I wrote this like little Timon and Pumbaa side adventure thing. And I got the worst grade that I've ever gotten on an English paper ever in my entire life. Like, English was my best subject. I'm an A plus student, like whatever. I got a pass, but like to me, that was unacceptable. And the reason was because it wasn't original characters. Now, I didn't know that fan fiction was a thing. I just had the story that I wanted to write about these characters that I loved, right? So that is a lesson that I learned mm. at a young age that you cannot do this. People will not take you seriously. They think that you don't have any ideas of your own, which I think is fascinating because Kath takes such joy from fic and it's such a big yeah. part of her identity but she's also internalized that shame because she talks about it when she is deciding whether to tell Levi about what she does and she says on page 127 she was so used to keeping it a secret used to assuming people would think she was a freak and a nerd and a pervert and she said that the professor made her feel so stupid and deviant. And I don't think that that was, that was not the read that I had on the conversation with Professor Piper. It wasn't that she was judging her for writing whatever she wrote, like the content. It was more the fact that it wasn't original. But because Kath has this internalized, which I think a lot of fic writers actually do, this feeling that it's yeah. actually something that's wrong, you know, that's something that she is projecting. They're on the defensive about it. And also like, huh, why didn't you just change the names from Baz? Like, Oh, that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, just take it and give them names of their own. Like you are borrowing their characters, but like you can just change the name. Yeah. And here is it. Just write an AU fic. Do an AU fic. Put it in a coffee shop romance. Change the names. Problem solved. No one will ever know. Because Protest, this is children. <laughs> When people write fan fiction, like it falls into a few categories, but one I see is like you're playing with the world that already exists, which is what Kath does. She stays within the world of mages, right? Like that's what she does. But part of the mm -hmm. joy for me as a reader is, okay, so one of the pairings I read for is Jamie Brienne. I've never watched Game of Thrones. I've never read the books. Like I, I've seen a bit of Game of Thrones, but not enough. Like I don't, I think I saw Brienne, but I got tumblered into this pairing because of some <laughs> really good fic writers. And now I'm like, oh, they're just amazing. But I love the AUs. I love them because it gives me this opportunity to explore the characters as other people want them to be and i love that for them especially because the show was such a gigantic mm. disaster in the end apparently i have feelings about that but that's a whole other podcast and look i think i think it's really important to have that opportunity but if you only stay within one thing you're not gonna get the depth and the breadth of the experience so in that way her professor's right 
And I think this comes down to Kath's identity and her relationship with Simon Snow as yeah. a means of coping with her trauma. So she can't leave the world of mages because within mm. the world of mages is where she feels safe. So she says, you know, when she said this thing about you can stay in this world, this world is you love for as long as you keep coming up with new stories. So she can't conceive writing yeah. AUs. That's not what she does. She just writes Simon and Baz in this world. Because um, what is that great line? Page 126, they were just stories, but stories weren't just anything. Simon wasn't just. And that's what it comes down to. Like, Simon is this massive thing for her. It is a cornerstone of her identity. She can't just change the name. She can't just take him out of his world mm. because that would break it, you know? I think that's really interesting. And I, I think I would enjoy reading her trying to write them into a modern AU. Because all of her ficlets, all of the little bits Good of her old. fic that are interspersed are basically the same. They're lumped into the same like style as the Gemma T. Leslie, right? Like she keeps her style so close to what Gemma T. Leslie's doing. And she stays within the story. Like that little fic that she, bit of the fic that she writes out to Levi is within the world of the book. So she's like, Simon's still looking for the hair the same way he would in the, yeah. the actual Gemma T. Leslie novel. So she stays within the confines of the narrative, but she creates these little moments. Yeah. change it um can we also just talk about levi being oh maybe they are actually a bit gay i love how open he is to just embracing this he's fish. the best and i just need to give a shout out to him just recognizing that and kath being like yeah they're obsessed with each other because we know some other people who are like <laughs> that no comment i want to talk about levi not being a book person for a second so levi not being a book person is because as we find out later levi has trouble reading like he really struggles reading a narrative but he's incredibly smart and he's very good at parsing information so if you tell him something he'll remember it and if he watches mm -hmm. something he'll remember it so he just has this amazing memory but you do have to read everything to him like he just can't take in information any other way and i know that this is based on a real person that rainbow worked with who had a similar thing where reading was just the information didn't go in and mm -hmm. i often find that when i'm tired or if i'm really stressed out like i just can't hear things <laughs> like i can't hear things mm. they do not make sense so i get that there's definitely like an auditory processing thing going on with me um but levi is actually quite well read because he makes this reference where he says, oh, F you, flowers in yes. the attic to the guy at the bar. And if you... I love that as well. It's so <laughs> it's good. so good. And I actually wanted to say the whole thing, but I would have to bleep myself. But I love that he yells, oh, F you, flowers in the attic to this guy who's like, ooh, twins. I'm going to give them beers until they start making out. And Levi's just appalled at this. He's appalled. This is one of my favorite bits where Levi is cute because he knows what VC Andrew's books are like enough to complain at this guy as a clapback. And I just, I can't even. It's so good. It's so smart. Like such a smart clapback. But also I did have a little bit of a, a beef with him in that moment because he's like you know they're these twins they're sisters they have a father and i'm like hey they should be respected as human beings regardless of whether they have a father yeah. or not but it's okay because you're adorable i'll allow it this is the thing with levi like his heart is in the right place and if he oversteps he immediately apologizes and I love his indignation when he was talking to Kath about, like, you know, she was dismissive of him only having seen the movies, which, fair, I'm in that boat too. But, you know, he was so indignant about Simon Snow not knowing the mage as his dad. And I just love that. I love that he could just meet her at her level and not, like, minimise her interest in it, not minimise the fact that she was writing fan fiction. Didn't make fun of her in a mean way. Like, it was more of a camaraderie than a bullying situation. Yeah. And I just think that is such a kindness. Like, that's an amazing thing to do. But that's just Levi. That's just what He's he does. He's beautiful. Um, I also like how he handled Ren. Like, he was still smiling. 
And he was just like, okay, open container. And then, you know, when she protested, he was like, a little louder there, jail bait. I don't think every cop on the street heard you. And like, Kath is over mm. it. She is done. She's angry. And she's like, I can't believe you're doing this. And like, what is wrong with you? And, mm. but Levi's just like, we're going to manage this and we're going to be okay. But also, you know, you, you can't really get in trouble. This is how you avoid that. Like, he's really lovely. He looks out for people. And that's one of the moments that Kath has anxiety as well when she says, you know, on top of everything going wrong this minute, Levi must think she was an idiot. Like, she really does not want to look like an idiot. And I think that's why the whole Professor Piper thing stings as much as it does as well, because she just feels stupid. Well, and she also had clocked before that Professor Piper liked her so much, like, maybe the best of everyone in the class. And now she was disappointing her, which is the ultimate fear. Um, can we talk about the fact that Kath super likes Levi and doesn't want to admit it? Yeah, she can't really engage with it. Yeah. She notices everything about him, his smiles, the way, what he does with his hair, like everything. But, and she yeah. tries to be indignant and disgusted by him, but she just can't quite get there. I love how when she's talking about the fan fiction on page 137, it's not like Levi was going to be impressed by her fan fiction. Entertained wasn't the same as impressed. He already thought she was a weirdo, and this was just going to make her seem that much weirdo. Did the bearded lady get excited when cute guys came to her freak show? <laughs> Like, mm. like she thinks he's a cute guy she still thinks that levi and regan are in a relationship which i don't really understand how she gets there to be honest because regan didn't really deny it yeah but read the situation i don't think there's enough evidence there to sustain that reading. i think i would have erred on the side of that too he's not my boyfriend not exactly that's what regan said mm. not he's my ex from years ago and we only started talking again this year which is the actual case which mm. we find out later but only after certain events transpire He's safe in that way, right? He's safe because he's Regan's boyfriend. Yeah, the unobtainable is always an option. Like, that, again, was my safety net. I'm like, just fall in love with the guys who are not available. It's easy that way. And so much more feelings, because angst and drama. Like, and that does feed us a little bit, doesn't it? Love a bit of angst, love a bit of drama. It's the emo in me, I can't help it. I thought it was interesting that she said she doesn't read Simon and Baz fix for the same reason real authors also don't read fic mm-hmm. because they don't want to be accused of plagiarizing or stealing ideas. And then Professor Piper accuses her of plagiarizing and stealing her ideas. Yeah, it was really interesting that she was keeping her own like mental clarity and purity of thought there. A lot of authors have become really like I, I don't want to say strident, but like very vocal about angry like, about don't it. don't send me stuff, don't send me things. Yeah. I don't want to hear your head cannons. Like I want you to be excited about it talk within your community but don't send them to me and that is fair the truth is everybody's going to have ideas some of those ideas are going to happen concurrently among people who've never interacted but if there's any sort of evidence then it could be like oh they completely stole my idea yeah it's really interesting how there's this push to have the fan like the author be part of the fandom Mm. It's bizarre to me because, as I've said previously, I think once an author puts something out in the world, it's just like, there you go, it's yours now. But then I feel like fandom just tries to bring them in all the time, folding them in, bringing them in. And some authors, they do feed into the fandom, they give them extra things, but... Some of them are, some of them need to stop talking about things. And Yeah, um, (laughs) yeah. Stop making things. Stop making things. I mean, that is the power of media, right? It's weird how people are insistent that you need to stick to the canon. It's like, oh, that's not canon or whatever. But if you go by the rule that once something is out in the world, then it belongs to the reader, then why can't the reader create their own canon? I say that knowing full well that I was texting you earlier this week, very annoyed that people were misreading things. And how dare they? Oh, yeah, I had the same thing. I was googling something about this book and I got a couple reviews that I was just like, oh, people didn't get it. Like, 
I hate that so Listen, much. it's a character-driven story. It is a character-driven story. This isn't a diehard, guys. There's not going to be a big fight scene at the end because it's about characters growing and changing. It's like a slice of life. You get Kath's first year of college, and that's okay. Like, it is what it is. It doesn't have to be anything else. If you don't enjoy that sort of thing, that's okay, too. But you can't expect it to be a banana cream pie and then be mad when you get a chocolate pie instead. That's the crux of the matter. That's actually, you've hit it right there. It's not the fact that you don't like it. I am all for people not liking things. If you don't like a book, fine. Mm. Give it a one-star review. But don't give it a one-star review because... It's not what you thought it was going mm-hmm. to be. Like That is a weird thing. That's like people giving Parasite a one-star review because it was in a foreign language. Like, that. what are yeah. you doing? You've misunderstood the concept, and now you are, because of that, because it's not what you expect it to be, you're giving it a one-star review. Like You need to be able to evaluate the media on the stake, what it is. So, you know, at university, I read so many books that I did not like, but I studied it because you study it for what it is, not for what you want it to be. Yes, and look, this is why I think that being a critic is different than being somebody who has a Goodreads account and can give stars. Like, Goodreads reviews, I would just have to say, are not particularly reliable. Amazon reviews, also not reliable. Mm-mm. You have to actually read, like, people who have studied how to be critics in order to understand what's going on because you have to know what you're dealing with before you can actually like you have to know what the text is meant to be before you're supposed to take it and read it as something because if it succeeds as a mystery novel but fails as an action story they're different metrics they're completely different metrics you have to know what you're looking for in order to say if it achieves it or not i think that's why there's still very much a place for literary criticism Mm. right like it seems weird that you still have magazines that exist purely on reviews for books it seems like a weird thing that exists in the modern era but it's absolutely vital because it is a way of thinking about things that you won't get in your average amazon review that's not to say that people aren't entitled to their opinions they absolutely are but they do different things yeah and knowing what you want to read out of a book only comes from reading widely and reading often so if you don't know what you like you should read a little bit of everything really to start seeing what you like and then find out what that author's reading I find that's really helpful it's like my dad said to me when I was in Perth you know he wants to start reading he's not a reader he's never read and so I was going through the motions trying to find him things so I've bought him a stack of books they're different things there's some non-fiction Mm. in there there's some adventure there's some comedy I just got him lots of different books I'm like just try them if you don't like it you don't have to keep reading don't force yourself to read just because you won't like the act of reading until you find something that you like and I got very annoyed because when I googled it like I was like, list of books for men who don't read. The list that came back was appalling. (laughs) It had Finnegan's Wake on it. What the heck? Like, I am a ferocious reader and I love reading and I barely made it through Finnegan's Wake. Like, are you kidding? For someone who doesn't read, you're recommending Finnegan's Wake and also The Road by Cormac McCarthy, another harrowing read. And this is why men don't read, because they're expected to read these absolutely horrific novels. Like, give them something nice. Give them something fun. Give them Douglas Adams. Like, come yeah, on, Yeah, that's my suggestion for people who want it. Like, if anybody has, a like, a glimmer of a sense of humour, Douglas Adams is always where I point them. Because that is fun. It's like reading a British panel show. Can't, I couldn't get over it i'm like really finnegan's wake okay anyway yes i have a lot of feelings about those lists they're always terrible i look at my favorite authors and i find out what well the alive ones anyway find out what they're reading and then find out what those authors are reading and then that's how i go yeah or what my friends are reading sometimes Mm -hmm. my friends give me great recommendations and like i also consult the bible which is um for every young adult they're great never steer me wrong Mm, good to know 
I had a thing about identity that I wanted to just remark on. And this is idea that family is an identity marker, right? So the rituals that make us who we are. And we were talking about it a little bit off podcast about the language we speak with our families mm. and how that becomes a defining moment and the routines and habits we fall into when we are with our families. And I thought that moment when Kath talks about making notes on her dad's ideas and that how they yes. have that little routine. And she says on page 97, she was green, Ren was red. And she just falls into that. And that is their mm. identity as a family. They do this thing together. I just thought that was really lovely. It is really lovely. I like that too. And I think I actually wrote in my book about something about that collaborative family here for it I really love that because there was also the discussion of her and Ren like trading back and forth and like she'd written a love scene and Ren turned it into a sword fight and then she and Ren go and star their dad's ideas so like they're all very creative all three of them and they're all doing these really interesting things transformative and also like pitching to ad companies like that's amazingly transformative mm -hmm. too because you have to take this concept of a thing a brand and then like sell it mm. I, like it's I love it I love it their whole family is just chaotic and creative and can I go hang out at their house with their dad he just seems so nice <laughs> I love that there was that comment about he hugged her like she like he needed mm. it I thought that was really lovely I really like that they like each other I think one thing I really noticed was that Kath has basically erased their mom from existence and I just want to flag this in terms of her dad um one of the ways that she's really protective with herself like she closes up around these vulnerabilities but she sometimes writes these little narratives so on page 98 she's talking about how they all look alike her and Ren they're identical but they look like their dad it was as if he'd had them all by himself all along like the three of them had just split their DNA evenly and I really loved that because she's just gone, no, we don't need anyone else. It's just three of us. And that's how it always should be. And look, here's even more proof. And in the next breath, a little further on where they're talking about her maybe getting in contact with her mom again, she says, she's been through nothing. It was true. You name it. Kat's mom wasn't there for it. And I love that that's her like defining thing. Like you weren't here for it. You didn't experience it. You can't be. But also we don't even see you. We don't even acknowledge you. Yeah. And when Levi makes a comment, I, don't, I didn't write it down, but there's a comment where he talks about her parents and she doesn't correct mm. him. She doesn't say that. No, it's just, just my dad. Is that at the bar? Mm, yeah. I caught that too. And I thought, oh, at some point they're going to have to have a conversation about it. So much of her identity is also wrapped up in being a twin, which I guess makes sense if you have another version of you walking around. But, you know, there's so many mentions in this section where she says, you know, what's the point of having a twin sister if you won't let her look out for you? You don't know how I feel. She's not just my sister. We don't have big to talks. We're twins. We have telepathy. <laughs> you know, there's all these things. I do think they should probably have actual talks, though. Like, there's a big issue yeah. here that they don't actually communicate. I don't think Kath has had enough perspective to really understand Ren is hurting yet. She, she'll get it later, though. Because when, mm. when Ren basically falls apart, Kath goes, oh, right, okay. So this is her spiral as well. And mm. that's when she's just done. She's just done being upset about it. Which means that I think all along, Kath has been the more mature one because she isn't trying to cope in an unhealthy way. I don't know. I think Levi sees that Kath is the more mature one because he says when he's talking to her about Ren's behaviour, he's like, she's just being a freshman. Like, he's sort of forgotten that Kath is also a freshman. Isn't that just because he likes her and he wants her to be older? I mean, that too. Um, I also just wanted to say that Kath dresses like you and it's super cute. <laughs> Tart and sweatered. <laughs> like, cardigans and tights is my favourite thing and that's you too. Mm -hmm. You guys are adorable. <laughs> I just got new socks and they're like really chunky knitted rib socks and I was like yes they're so comfortable <laughs> yeah I'm a bit tragic <laughs> no it's amazing I like the way Kath dresses and I also want to dress like that jeans and t-shirts and comfy everything I'm old I gotta tuck everything into my skinny jeans now it's just gotta 
just got to work. <laughs> um, did you have an in-depth marginalia? I did. So I chose the section on page 110 when Kath is having a conversation with Professor Piper and it's all awkward and horrible and she's trying to defend the reason why she chose to write fan fiction and it's not plagiarism and Professor Piper's having none of it and then in the moment she says, but this was an immature mistake and the right thing for you to do now is learn from mm. it. I really resonated with it because I feel like I have had that conversation when I have done things in my professional career maybe that I was trying to justify and a it would just be like, no, look, you just need to, you can't argue your way out of this. You just need to learn from it and move yeah. on. And I think that is a very important lesson to learn. I feel like often when I have younger new colleagues coming in, I just sit there and watch them. And I'm like, this is something that you need to learn that sometimes one, sometimes you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. You just need to accept it, own it, move on. That's fine. No one expects yeah. you to be perfect. Just learn. But two, sometimes people are going to tell you you've made a mistake when you haven't. And you're just going to have to let it go. Like you can't get wrapped yeah. up all the time. And yeah. all you can do is keep learning and improving. And I think for Kath, this was a really, like in terms of our themes, this was a very anxiety driven moment. Like this is everything. This is her worst yeah. nightmare. Someone she respects telling her that she's stupid basically. But it is a learning opportunity. And it kind of reminded me of the Devil Wears Prada. You know, when... There's that moment when Andy can't get Miranda home from the, the tropical storm in Florida and she walks into Nigel's room and she's like, you know, she hates me, Nigel. And he's like, she doesn't hate you. You don't try. And he has that amazing monologue about what the magazine means to mm. him and how, you know, Andy just isn't really putting her back into it because of her own hangups. And I feel like, yes, Professor Piper could have handled this better, but she is trying to get, give Kath actually an important lesson yeah. here that if she took it on board, she could learn a lot from. Yeah. And I think for me, going forward, it's just a reminder to not get lost in the heat of the moment. Don't get lost in your own emotions. And remember, if you just take a step back, there's always a lesson to learn. Like, there's always a moment where you can learn something. And that's what you just have to do. You've got to keep learning and moving on. Can't dwell on it. Absolutely. So, yeah. Oh, is it a bad time to say that I've never seen The Devil Wears Prada? Oh, see, it's one of my absolute favorites. It's my go-to put it on when I'm trying to do work. I will watch it on repeat. What about you? What's the in-depth marginalia you have? Well, I already touched on this a little bit, but on page 105, Kath and Ren are talking about Ren's decision to think about opening a dialogue with her mother. And Ren says, she's already messed everything up. It's not like she can leave us again. And Kath says, yes, she can. Um, and I really want to talk about this in terms of the two of them being so different in that Ren is better at existing in the world by keeping it at arm's length, but Kath just is unable to be anybody but herself. And I think this is part of why she struggles against the failing grade on that mm. essay, because she really is like, this is something that's so personal to her. It is part of her identity. Mm. It's foundational. And with Ren, Ren is trying to decide who she is. And part of that is maybe like doing things she would never have done before. And maybe their mom is folded into that. But I also think that Ren protects herself by mm, keeping everybody at a distance, whereas Kath is anyone who's in is she's already been vulnerable to the difference is that Ren will let everybody into a point but Kath won't let anyone in the door unless she knows that they're worthy the real world text this reminds me of is um the line the mortifying ordeal of being known the essay is called I know what you think of me by Tim Kreider mm. and I'll put it in the show notes but I really love this essay and I read it from time to time again because it talks about how we don't actually get a say in what other people think of us and actually it's really terrible to 
be seen and known and understood <laughs> intimately. Like, it is the worst. Mm-hmm. It is the worst. It's the worst. Set. Like, it's just horrible. All of it is horrible. It's the most vulnerable you yeah, can exactly. be. Yeah, exactly. And, like, knowing that other people might talk about you is like, I can't. I just want to be a turtle in a shell. And I'm a really sensitive person. <laughs> And so I think that my way of responding has been a bit like Ren. Like, I just kind of present to the world that I'm okay and happy and fine. And, like, letting myself be vulnerable is a lot of effort because my inner self is very different than, like, what most people get. So that's really hard for me. I want to explore that. Maybe not here necessarily, but I just Mm -hmm. want to think about that and kind of dive deep on that for myself. And just, like, reckon with what it means to let myself be vulnerable and why I think it's not okay for Ren to do that, but I'm okay with myself doing that. Anyway. Yeah. It's scary scary though like it is that's why I hate that initial moment of falling in love right that people that stage everyone loves I'm like this is hell this is actual hell it's the worst you really just want to fall in love with a friend that's it you want to already have gotten past the like worthiness thing yeah and like being so open and vulnerable and Mm -hmm. like literally waiting for someone to just stab you in the heart which I actually love that you said that because (laughs) when I you know I just reread Wayward Son before I read Anyway the Wind Blows and when I was making my annotations I was like the mortifying ordeal of being known I probably wrote it down like four times when I was making my annotations for that book. It's just, it sums up everything that happens. I don't think Tim Kreider knew what he was doing when he put that sentence into the world, but boy, did we all run with it. It's exactly what it is, isn't it? It's just so accurate. It makes my soul hurt. Yeah, I know. I I mean, I think, I wonder if Ren feels like that around Kath. Like, here's somebody who knows her more intimately than everyone else, and that's why she's pushing her away, right? Maybe also because she feels like she can't explore who she is if she has this constant mirror of who she was, right? Um, Did you have a character to spotlight this week? You know I do. Um, <laughs> I'm going to spotlight Levi, uh, not just because of the 8,467 Tom Felton gifts I put in your Tumblr inbox this week. Sorry about that. <laughs> like, he's just really the MVP. Like, he shows up at midnight to take Kath home, to walk her home. And, like, when she kind of pushes back, he's like, no, don't be silly. Of course I'm going to make sure you get home safe. Like, he's not doing it to be a creep. He's not even doing it to get on her good side. He's doing it because it's the right thing to do. Mm. Um. He goes with her to make sure that Ren is okay, and then he makes sure that Ren doesn't get into any more trouble by having, like, an open container and, like, kind of tries to calm her down. He gets them out of a bad situation, even though he doesn't really throw a punch. You know, that was Sandro. Mm -hmm. I just, like, he just does so many things, right? And this is the thing I really love is that he really wants to get to know Kath, and he wants to know what's important to her. So he's willing to sit there and listen to fan fiction, which I think would be outside of most farmers' wheelhouses. But he's like, all right, I'm there. If this is what you're into, I'm into it. Like, I just love that. When you are interested in something and the person that you want to be with or the person that you maybe even like a little bit is also like, I'm not interested in, but I love that you're interested in it. That's the best feeling. So, yeah. yeah. How about you? <laughs> I'm also spotlighting Levi because he is the MVP in this section and he is so unfailingly kind and just mm. good and does things because they're the right thing to do but I specifically want to spotlight him for his embracing of Kath's fandom. Mm. I think it is so wholesome that he meets her there that he has an opinion that he can share with her about it. Like he's yeah. willing to engage and then when he insists that she reads him some fanfic and he's like I just love stories I just love it so much so wholesome. He, what a nice guy. What a nice guy. TM. Marry him immediately. <laughs> this is my triumphant moment because he's the nicest person in the book and you're all about it. And I am here for this. I'm here for it so much. What, that I like the nice guy for a change? Yes! Yes, he's not the villain. It's so good. Okay, but see, this is also, side note, why I love Baz so much <laughs> in the Carry On series because 
finally, I have the guy who's supposed to be the bad guy, but he's not the bad guy, and I can like him without having to go through the mental gymnastics I go through with all the other bad guys that I like. And it's so good. It's so good. And I love it. It's vindication. Anyway. I love it. I'm sorry. I'm just really excited because this is great. <laughs> I love that we both love the guy who was the good guy. Nick Hoomst. He's like, I never run out of words. Yeah, because you steal them from other people. He's the worst. Anyway, yeah. we'll get there. Oh, so next week, we will be reading chapters 13 through 16 through the theme of heartbreak. Oh, no. Angst. I know. I think it's okay. We'll be okay. We'll survive. Yeah, we always do. Um, and is this the time, do you think, that we should mention that we're going to have a guest appearing yes. on the show soon? A guest host. Very exciting. I'm really excited. It's going to be even more fun. Cute. Well, thank you so much. I feel like I was very excitable today. So thanks for indulging me. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad we managed to make it work. Despite technology trying trying again to thwart us. Always, always. Well, um, I guess we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, looking forward to it. Bye. All right, bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at www.marginaliapod.com.